the idea is, is that all of you who are believers would get, you know, different ammo. And so if somebody says, man, I'm just going through a season of fear, then you can go to Greg and say, hey, I, I need something. And we, we have uh, resources where we will find uh, the, the, maybe a, a little pamphlet, and it has all the verses in there. And, and you can just say, hey, let's meet for the next couple of uh, Thursdays for breakfast or whatever. Uh, or if it's, it's something for the couple, hey, I'll come over to your house for four weeks. Or we have this video series uh, along with a booklet from Craig Castor on, on marriage or raising kids. Or you, you say, well, I've been through that, but I need help more in communication with my wife. Or we need, uh, we're not quite getting our finances right. Well, we have a discipleship for that. So we will have groups on Sunday morning, first, second service, you can come to one service and hear the word, and then the second service, you can go and be a part of a, a small group. Um, and the thing that Craig Hasser has is called the Christian Foundation, and it's just knowing you know, how to pray, how to read the Bible, what do you do through temptation and trials. It's something every Christian should go through uh, pretty regularly, but more importantly, that you could take somebody else through it. And so if you, uh, we have several people that have come, uh, started coming to the church in the last few months. And, and uh, it's just, hey, let's, this is an eight-week thing. Let's get together uh, for eight weeks and uh, let, let's go through this thing together. And so Craig Cash is going to be here and help you see that. But there's many, many other reasons. I uh, have experienced uh, anxiety uh, in the past after my uh, son passed away. Within a couple of weeks, I just, out of the clear blue, you know, one of those things where you thought you were having a heart attack and it was just an anxiety attack, and um, it, it just didn't go away. So there's some great ma discipleship material. So um, that's something that's, that's very prevalent among the millennial generation is, is dealing with anxiety. And so um, there's one gentleman in the church, and I'm just going through it with him. And, uh, and helping him step by step to understand uh, the scripture and, and, and breathing exercises, whatever he needs to, to get past that. And so it can, it can, it's basically just caring for one another. You know, you may not have the answers, but you can come alongside and say, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to find out the answer together here. And you go to the pastors and, and let them help you. So a lot of one-on-one. -on -one, uh, we'll have groups that can meet in homes. They can meet here Wednesday night while the service is going on for a three-week series or a six-week series or whatever. But the idea is you say, well, I'm doing pretty good. Great. Then you're a discipler. You say, man, I need some help. Then let us know, because I guarantee you, you're not the only one. Um, and so let's get three couples together or three singles together, or let's get people that are going through divorce together. Let's get people that have lost somebody. It's a great series my wife has taught many times. It's called Grief Share, powerful. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's, it's very lengthy, but it, it, then they have different seasonal things to encourage your heart. So, um, and it's really, that's what God has designed it for. I, I think you say information. I think it's more about connection. 
You know, and the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when somebody comes and they're telling you that they're going through grief or fear or uh, there's this area of temptation they're felling in, that, that you bear one another's burdens. And uh, the whole idea is that now you, you come alongside them and start pouring into them all the treasure you have in your heart through going through temptation and, and uh, all the scripture and, and just walk with them through it. And then they pour out their treasure into you. And then you have this beautiful connection. So it appears in God's word that he didn't put everything we need to know in the Bible or with the longest book in the Bible would be how to be married. You know, understanding women would be the longest book in the Bible. <laughs> Second, and then uh, after that, it would be the book of raising kids. Uh, and then, of course, the book of financial management. Uh, it's not in there because God's designed it where Solomon said, seek for wisdom as hidden treasure. He wants us to seek it out and have the older women teach the younger women. And, and it, it, there's just this beautiful thing that God has, has left a gap there according to the culture, the generation, so we would have to seek out the answers from his word, but they're there. It's just not in a nice little uh, form letter. Uh, it's, you gotta really know the whole scripture to get all of those verses and that doctrine to help you through it. So anyway, that is happening, and so I understand it's committing a weekend uh, in February, but I ask you to do everything you can. And we are also opening this up to other people from other fellowships. So if you uh, are connected to another church and they're going, man, they, they would like to hear about this, tell the pastor and his wife to come or some of the leaders to come. Um, and, and be a part of it. Craig's gonna do a teaching on uh, an exhortation and discipleship on marriage, on raising kids, um, and then we're gonna have a lot of question and answer time, and then he'll be speaking here on Sunday morning. Well, this morning, if you would, turn to 1 Samuel 27, either in your Bible or get those verses on your Bible app, or a lot of people now, are they've gone to um, our church app. And with the church app, you can actually look at the, the notes and all the other verses uh, that we're going through. And the other thing is the email. We have a lot of information we don't share here in the morning. It won't be in the bulletin. If you're not signed up to the church email, uh, make sure you write your name and your email and put it in the offering box there. Well, Lord, we come before you now and ask in the name of Jesus, you would give us ears to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we need you. We're hurting. We need your comfort. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your love. We need you to speak to us, to our hearts, all the things that you desire for us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, before we get started, are you guys a little warm? Yeah, it's a little bit warm in here. Um, I really got to be careful not to lose weight. And uh, if I'm sweating here, lose a pound to service, that would be, Cheryl wouldn't think I'm attractive anymore. First <laughs> uh, Samuel 27. Now remember David in the last chapter had 
an experience where Saul was chasing him with 3,000 select soldiers. And David said to a couple of his guys, who wants to go down with me and, and talk to Saul or go see Saul? And they're like, let's go. And of course, God put all 3,000 of them into a deep supernatural sleep. And David and Abishai, boldly as lions, went down there and grabbed his spear and his water and walked away with it. And then he said uh, at a distance to Saul, if I wanted to kill you, I could have. Could have killed you in the cave some time back. I didn't. Could have killed you here. Didn't. And, and why are you doing this? And Saul repented again. And so it sounds like David is so full of faith, brave, confident. He's actually getting this trial thing down. Man, trials, bring them on. No big deal. But it didn't happen. After that time, the next day, the next week, the next month, we don't know. But David said in his heart, ooh, be careful. Be careful. Because David said in his heart something negative. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Did he believe that up to that point? No. There's nothing better for me than I should be speedily escaped to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I will escape out of his hand. Twice he says, then I'll escape. I got to do this quick. I got to do it now. I got to get out of Israel. And maybe Saul will then give up on trying to kill me. And, and that's the answer. We got to be careful about our hearts. Our hearts, says in Jeremiah 27, are desperately, what? Deceitful and wicked. Above all things, who can know it? Our heart. We often say, well, you know, I'm just sort of being guided by my heart. Eee. I, I wouldn't do that. Yes, sometimes our emotions are right in line with God's will. Most of the time, not. I know when I come to church, I, I, I you know, worshiping, it's like, oh, I don't know why it's, I, I come in so cold. But then the song starts singing, my heart starts to get warm. And, and I know this is a song where lift up your hands, but, uh, <laughs> and then I force myself in my heart saying, don't lift up your hands. And then the scales begin to fall. And I find there was a hardness in my heart I didn't know was there until I stood, until I lifted my hands, until I, like a little child, got to be humbled and become like a little child to clap your hands. But you do it in, in obedience because, you know, the worship leader we trust, he's leading us, right? Do we call him a worship entertainer? He's, he's our worship leader. And, and so we need to just trust that he has prayed about this, that, that he didn't just willy-nilly say, I like this one, this sounds cool. We've got a cool guitar rip on that one, so let's play that one. I, I don't think that's the case. I think he's truly, genuinely trying to be led by the Lord. And if he has a song that we're to stand, let's stand. I mean, worship is 20 minutes. You can stand for 20 minutes. I, and, you know, I got two knee replacements and an ankle replacement. And, uh, and, and I know pain. I live in it every day. I wake up in it every day. I've been married, so I know pain. Um, <laughs> Only kidding, sweetie. Only kidding. She knows pain. 
She knows me. I, I, I get it. It's humbling. It's, but it, it's, there's something there to just not be led by your heart, or we would say today our feelings, right? And, and just obey God. Does God's word say lift up your hands? Then God evidently likes that. I know the kind of flowers my wife likes. And if I bought her the ones that I thought were pretty, it'd be okay, but it's not what she wants, right? And so God doesn't give us a commandment and there's really no benefit to it. God doesn't give us a commandment that he won't give us the grace to enable us to do it. And so, um, you know, and I know some of you have a hard time standing and, and that's why we have the front row. We keep it reserved for you. So you can just come on down in the front and sit there you, you, the whole time, and then you can see the words, right? Sort of in jest, but the front row's empty. So use it. <laughs> but uh, either way, David was speaking in his heart, not necessarily to another guy, not necessarily to God, but just stirring in this thing that was not a faith. It was a doubt. David had individually did good on trials, but when you start lumping all those trials together, it began to wear him down. Isn't that the thing about trials? You know, you hit a trial and it's hard. Hit another trial, it's hard. Two weeks, it's getting tiring. A month, you're exhausted. Months, maybe a year, you're just, you're, you're just a thin thread, aren't you? And that's the Bible says there's various trials, and this is one of them, just a lengthy trial. It doesn't have to be a big one. It just has to be around for an annoying long time. David, at this point, according to my calculations, has been doing this for 12 years, hiding in caves and Saul chasing him. It says in the Proverbs 23, 7, as for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. David in his heart was a man on the verge of being killed by his enemy. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart. That word keep in the Hebrew is the word bodyguard, personal bodyguard. Guard your heart. Put a bodyguard out there with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. It's part of our flesh. Like the Bible says, we've got to beat our flesh in subjection. Well, the same way, our heart can have ideas that, and we get these ideas, and, and, and as we're thinking in our heart, so are we. we, we maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. You, you know, the football player goes, I'm going to be the toughest guy in the field. Oh, that's a good thing. The boxer goes into the ring. I can get this guy. That's a good thing. But then there's the other times when we're running thin. And, and the thoughts of our heart are not in line with God's promises and God's word. So interesting, we, we saw that David was struggling. You know, we saw him going down into the middle of the camp of 3,000 mighty warriors and grabbing Saul's spear and water and walking away. And we say, man, there wasn't any doubt. Well, remember when he was talking to Saul afterwards, 
saying, here's your spear, here's your water. We saw last week in 1 Samuel 26, um, in there, verse 17 through 19, once uh, Saul knew it was David's voice, and they began to talk. We see there in verse 19 that David said, but if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So David was hearing voices, probably from his carnal guys that were with him, saying, let's get out of Israel. Of course, God said, don't ever leave the promised land, didn't he? And he's saying, Saul, you don't understand. You are wearing me down, and I am tired of trying to stay in the boundaries of God. And, and, and they're, they're giving me this push, and I'm trying to resist it, but I'm afraid they're going to win, where finally I'm just so thin emotionally that I'm going to give in to them and go to the pagans and live amongst them and probably my men and their wives and their children are with me will co-mingle and get wrapped up in idolatry. Stop, please. Well, David eventually gave in to that temptation. He told Saul about it. He told us about it. And he ended up getting weakened to fall into that temptation. Notice he says twice there, speedily to escape. And he says escape. Speedily, I, I gotta make this decision right now. You know, in Isaiah 28, 16, a great verse you never wanna forget. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. David was not taking his heart and saying, put it upon the foundation of God's promises. David had him. Remember, Jonathan came out and told him in 1 Samuel 23. He, he says to him, he came into the woods to strengthen David's hand. And, and he said to him in 1 Samuel 17, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. Abigail got it right. When she was encouraging David, she said in 1 Samuel 25, 28, that, that the Lord will certainly make my Lord and give him an enduring house, an everlasting house. And God's bundled you up in the promises of the living God and, our, and the lives of your enemies will be slung out of your pocket like a sling. And then she says this in verse 30. 1 Samuel 25, verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you, what? Ruler over Israel. He had encouraging voices. Interesting, one of those voices was Saul himself. In 1 Samuel 24, 20, after the cave incident, Saul said this, and now I, Saul speaking, know indeed that you shall surely, 
be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. And not once, but twice he did this. In the last chapter, when David was struggling, Saul came back in, in 1 Samuel 26, 25, and Saul said to David, may you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also shall prevail. Wow. David had friends and enemies <laughs> speak to him the confidence that God, what God said he would do, he would do. And even his enemies had to say, you know what? I, your, your character, your nature is making it clear all the things that God's going to do. But what did we find in this moment? David had a meltdown. Now, we know that only rare, uniquely weak people have breakdowns, right? Well, David had more than one. We find another one in Psalm 10, verse 1. He says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in the times of trouble? You ever felt like that? <laughs> Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 22, David was feeling it, but yet David's meltdown is actually prophecy of Jesus' breakdown. There in Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the nighttime, and I am not silent. I'm crying out day and night, and I'm groaning, and I'm just zero sense of your presence, zero sense of your hand of blessing, that you're even paying attention to what is going on. And this is the most difficult time I've been, and I don't have any sense that you're paying attention. John the Baptist, Jesus would say of him, out of all women born, or of all men born from women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. But remember when he spoke against Herod, for divorcing his wife and then marrying his brother's wife, his sister-in-law. John the Baptist spoke against it and said, you're sinning. And Herod had him locked up in prison. And during that time while he was in prison, he was having a meltdown. He said to his disciples, you go find Jesus and tell him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And Jesus uh, there said, you know what, go tell John the blind see, the hear, uh, the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and blessed are those who keep from stumbling over me. You know what, John, in his mind, if Jesus is really God, he wouldn't still be in prison. If Jesus was God, he wouldn't be in prison as long as he's been in prison. If Jesus is God, the execution date won't happen. But in essence, what happened there? 
John stayed in prison and John was beheaded. Jesus had a meltdown. Do you remember that time when he had the Mount of Transfiguration? What a glorious time that was. He comes down and he finds the apostles that weren't with him stressed out over a demon-possessed boy. And they brought him to Jesus and Jesus said this in Matthew 17, 17. He answered, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Interesting. Jesus knew that feeling of a long trial. And he's only three years into his ministry. <laughs> he's 33 years old at this point, but he's like, man, is this difficult. Remember Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, tested as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knew what it was like, wasn't it, don't we? A man acquainted with grief and sorrow who spent really all 33 years in a long trial. And then getting a little glimpse of his former glory there on that Mount Transfiguration, guess what happened? It made it all <laughs> harder, feeling like, oh, the angels, the Father, Elijah, Moses, oh, oh, oh man, how much longer am I going to have to do this? Even one day is too long. The Apostle Paul, wow, talking about great men melting down. He said in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 9, For do we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened, listen to this, beyond measure. Ever been there? Secondly, above strength. Thirdly, that we would despair even of life. We thought this was the end. We had no more hope. I wonder if it was one of those times he was hanging on to a piece of wood out in the middle of the ocean. Because three times, and then we find a fourth time he was shipwrecked. Satan was trying to sink him. Yes, he says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Noah had a breakdown, not in the trial. After the trial, he was exhausted. He gets off the boat. And then we find out when he got off the boat and it was just him and his family around that he became an alcoholic. The last thing we hear of Noah is that he was shamelessly drunk out of his mind, stripped off his clothes, sleeping it off. His kids had come to visit and they found what was going on with Noah. That's the last thing we hear about Noah. This great man of faith a man who alone walked with God in his generation, but yet he was still just a man, right? And men get pushed above strength, beyond measure. 
and Abraham twice melted down in fear, saying Elijah was, or excuse me, that Sarah was his sister. Elijah broke down after a victory and just prayed that God would kill him. Moses, the most meekest man on earth, had a tremendous breakdown. In Numbers 11, verses 10 through 15, I want to read them all because it's really a major breakdown here. <laughs> this is where the children of Israel said, we're tired of manna. We don't want food from heaven. We don't want food made by God and just laying at our doorstep and there's no effort picking it up and eating it and having all the wonderful vitamins and nutrients I need for my day. I'm sick of this. He's, he's, he's wronging us with this manna. We want meat. And Moses has a breakdown as the people wept, saying, we just want meat. And in verse 10, then Moses heard the people weeping throughout the families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. And listen, Moses also would displease. Now you think Moses was displeased at the people. Very little. We're going to find out where his displeasure really lied. Look at verse 11. Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom and guardian cares for, as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get me to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat, give us meat to eat. <laughs> and in verse 14, am I not, I am not able to bear all these people alone. Boy, he felt like God wasn't helping him out at all because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. Isn't that really a big part of the meltdown? Is everybody sees us at our weakness? They see us sort of at our worst because we're always trying to keep the faith. We're trying to hang on and be the person our spouse needs, our kids need. And we're trying to tough it out at work and how are you doing? Fine. But then the breakdown takes all the facade away. The outer shell gets cracked and peeled away like an orange. And there we are exposed seeing our wretchedness, our humanity, maybe sinfulness. I don't think Moses sinned here. I just think he, he revealed that this trial is wearing me out. You ever say that to your kids? I am losing my patience. You're wearing me out. And the kids are going, Mom, did, 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 is that okay? <laughs> Well, in verse two, so David arose and went over with the 600, uh, 1 Samuel 27, two. And David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, to the son of Maot, the king of Gath. 
So David dwelt with Achash at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, and Nabal, who was Nabal's widow. Ouch. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. It worked. Understand that sometimes our A answers are not really the answers. And sometimes we can make a decision that takes the pressure off in the immediate, but it actually, after a time, will make things much, much worse. But when we're melting down, we want immediate relief. Nothing matters but taking this moment and people therefore go to alcohol or drugs or extramarital affairs or whatever will get the adrenaline pumping and for them to live in a bubble that's not in reality because reality is too painful right now. We are all human. We are all at that place that could happen. So David went to Achish in verse 5 now. And he said, if I have not found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag has become the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. 16 months, almost a year and a half. Now you say, hold it, hold it. Didn't David try this once before? He sure did. Remember chapter 21, uh, David was by himself and he was fleeing for his life and he thought, hey, I'll go down there. And he had Goliath's sword with him. He had gotten out of the tabernacle. And there they put him under arrest and they were freaking out. David got out of there by the skin of his teeth. And I you'd think, wow, he wouldn't try that again. But this time it worked. This time he comes with his mighty men and all their wives and their kids, and, and, and they realize there's no secret plan here. He wouldn't have brought his wives and kids. And whatever reason, they realize, hey, you know, before when we rejected David, we weren't so sure about his story that Saul was after him. That was just sort of a palace knowledge at that time. People outside the palace didn't really know about it. But now, after several years, it's a clear established fact that the king hates David, and they probably assume David hates him. And, and so to have an enemy of King Saul would be a good thing. So this time it works. We have greater detail of the description of David uh, in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, now these were the men who came to David at Ziglag. While he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish, they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both right hand and the left in the hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were ambidextrous. That is the Benjamites, Saul's own relatives. So David is a Ziglag with his 600 mighty men and their wives and their kids, and they got this city that they're building up, and, and all of a sudden, from all over Israel comes the mightiest of people leaving Saul's army, leaving Israel. Even Saul's own relatives realize 
Saul's lost it. And they're joining David and these ambidextrous, amazing elite of all Israel's warriors were the Benjamites. And so David now truly has quite an army. What did he do with that? Well, look at verse eight. David and his men went up and raided the Girgashites and the Gerasites and the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old. As you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. So David is out raiding the neighbors, allies with the Philistines, by the way. And these were the people of old. What, what does that mean? Remember, God told Moses to tell the people, when you go into the promised land, they either leave or you kill them all, even the wives and the kids, nobody from those, those people that I'm vomiting out of the promised land, that is it, and don't leave any behind, not even one behind, because they will compromise you and cause you to worship their gods. Well, Joshua knew clearly and didn't do a good job with that, did he? These people continued, and sure enough, they intermingled, and it was a great hardship on the children of Israel. So David, if you would, was sort of taking liberty in an old written law saying, well, the leaders, Moses and Joshua, and after him, the, and the judges, they never did it right. So yeah, you know, if you read the fine print of the old command of God, I think I have a license to do what he wanted to do. Now we're going to find out that God didn't agree with that at all. A matter of fact, David would have a consequence of doing this would be almost more than he could handle. Because David, one thing above everything, wanted to get out of the tabernacle and build a temple to God. And God would say to him later, remember, you are a man of bloodshed. He wasn't talking about the righteous wars that he fought for the Lord. That wouldn't have disqualified him. It was David fighting battles that God did not command, and worse, just to make himself wealthy. Notice in verse 9 how harsh David was. Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. So David, for these 14 months, was not Conan the barbarian, but David the barbarian. And he was going out with these ruthless guys and just killing everybody, burning the place to the ground. And, and he was getting wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. And Achaz would say, where have you made your raids today? And David would say, oh, against the southern area of Judah, complete lie. Against the southern area of the... Geromalites, and against the southern area of the Kenites, those, that was Moses' brother-in-law, David would say, save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. And Achash believed David, saying, he has made his, his own people, Israel, utterly abhorred him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. David had a meltdown. Did it last a few hours, a day, 
David went out of his mind for a year and four months. For 16 months, he just snapped and just became this guy who was just infuriated and all the vengeance and anger that he had been fighting against Saul to have a loving attitude, it finally just broke him. And he just became this crazy, brutal guy. I could imagine the first place they went to and, and David's just slashing everybody and everything and his guys are looking and going, whoa. And then David gives the orders, kill everybody, burn everything. Sure, okay. But it would have been quite a different thing happening. What do we learn? What's the conclusion of all this? First of all, we're all going to have meltdowns, okay? Probably not all of them are in the past. Life is difficult, and if it's not difficult enough by your own hand, Satan will make sure it's difficult, right? I mean, it's not just about you. It's about how others react to you. I mean, how many times people have reacted harshly, weirdly, demonically almost to you, and you're just trying to be at peace with all men, but they won't allow it. And what do you do? You do the best you can do. And realize, if I'm going through this meltdown, I'm staying in my heart, uh-oh, get into the word. Be washed in the water of the word. Hide God's word in your heart, and you won't sin against him. But even if you do, you're having this hard time. You're going through this difficult meltdown. Remember Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Christ didn't condemn Moses. He didn't condemn Elijah. You go back through every one of them. When Elijah was saying, kill me, God, I hate being here. He feeds him, gives him some drink. He passes out. He gets up, kill me, I want to die. Gives him, feeds him, gives him some drink. He passes out. And then finally, he's energized and he runs up to Mount Sinai to seek the Lord. Even though we may have strong feelings of hopelessness and abandonment, at times. Some people from their childhood have real issues of hopelessness and abandonment they've carried from childhood. God is true, so don't listen to your heart or your flesh. In Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Isaiah 59.1, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. I'm sure you have a list of these verses. I have a whole list of them. I call them prayer promises. And you need those times to just get your own heart back, you know, like the the lion tamer with the chair and the whip. Get back, heart. You know, tame that thing with the word of God and to say, no, I won't listen to my own heart. I'm going to listen to the word of God and God's heart. The next thing is, don't forget, even Jesus went through such things and he did it for us. We know those verses, don't we? 
where Jesus there on the cross is crying out, my God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? Did Jesus feel hopeless, abandoned? In Psalm 22, going back to that passage, he was quoting this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groanings, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, you do not hear. In the night season, and will not be silent. Lord, Father, if there's any way, please let this cup pass from me. Silence. No help. There he began to pray, and it was so stressed out, his blood vessels began to break in his body, and sweat and blood began to drop to the ground. Why, Lord, are you so far from helping me? Why do you not hear the words of my groaning? Jesus went through a meltdown. In Hebrews 2, verse 17 and 18, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be the merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus went through a meltdown without sinning. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16, a passage you probably got memorized, I do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I'm going through a meltdown. Hold fast your confession. I feel like God's abandoned me. Hold fast your confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So therefore, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. We hear Moses in his breakdown complaining and, and accusing God of giving him too much and, and not calculating that what God was laying upon him was more than he could handle. And it was crushing him to the point that he was seeing himself like he hadn't seen himself since he was in Egypt <laughs> 60 years earlier. He's just seeing his own wretchedness. But yet God can handle that, can't he? The next thing, it seems like God allows us to go through extremely hard and unnecessary trying times. But God tells us every piece of sand of weight upon you is necessary. All the trials are necessary. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's aim is your faith being purified and isn't that the thing that would rejoice you more than anything? This is that which overcomes the world, John says. What? Our faith. And God says, I know ultimately that's a greater desire of your heart than you even know. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, a couple chapters after Paul had his meltdown, 
He had learned this when he was pushed to the point of giving up and thinking he would die. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. <laughs> Paul in chapter 11 is going to talk about his light affliction, beaten with rods and whips, and which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Why we do not look at the things which we are seeing, but the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God's promises that we cannot see, he sees and he's faithful. And of course, I won't read the whole passage, but you know it in James 1, verse 2 through 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you what? What's that word? Fall. Count it all joy when you fall. There's the meltdown. Into various trials. If it was just one flavor, I think we could get used to it, right? But they keep coming, surprising us and, and revealing our wretchedness. This is a hard truth I need to talk about for a moment. Sometimes walking by faith looks victorious. But many times, it's God's plan that it won't look victorious. We'll go through the trials and it crushes us, crushes us, crushes us, and we die. In Hebrews 11, he says, man, I don't have time to talk about Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all these great guys who subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped mounts of lions, quenched the fire, the violence of fire. And then he says, escape the edge of the sword. But then in verse 35, he says, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. They might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking, scourging, chest of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. Hold it. Didn't it just say in verse 34, these great men escaped the edge of the sword? David did, didn't he? But then he goes on to say, but others, their faith conquered, but they were killed with the edge of the sword. David escaped Saul's sword. The apostle James, only a few months after his ministry began, was beheaded, wasn't he, by Herod. Would we say that James's faith, <laughs> that his trial didn't work? No, we just gotta understand, guys, that God doesn't see our temporary circumstance as heaven. He doesn't say, get born again, I'll give you heaven now, and you get real heaven later. He never says that, doesn't he? Come to Christ, and it'll, it'll make you feel fulfilled. That's American gospel. Come to Christ if you're unhappy, and Jesus will make you happy. Come to Christ if your marriage is suffering and Christ will give you a healthy marriage. Not in Iran. You become a Christian in Saudi Arabia, it'll probably end your marriage. Right? I mean, we, we've got to quit putting our concepts of what victory is and get our eyes on the Lord. Because some of us are going to be safe from the sword and we'll write our books. And some of us will be killed with the sword. We won't write a book, but in heaven, great will be our reward. What's the answer? Hang in there. 
David in Psalms 27, verse 13 to 14. I would have lost hope unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. That's a word for prayer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your hearts. What's the final word on this? Wait, I say, on the Lord. And of course, you know Isaiah 40. Even the young men stumble badly, but those who wait on the Lord will gain great strength, right? Well, Lord, we come before you this morning as we look at these simple 12 verses that make up chapter 27. And boy, how we can relate. <laughs> boy, how we get it. David is not experiencing something we can't understand. And so, Lord, we know that you are sending a word in season for us, that where we are in the word is where we are. There's some that need this word because they're barely hanging on. Send forth your word and heal them. There's some who are getting ready to go through a season of trial, and they need to be washed and strengthened in this word before they get there. There are many who say, I can't hope in God because I am not right with God myself. Maybe you're a backslidden Christian or somebody that realizes they need Christianity and this is your first step coming here today or listening in some other fashion. Right now, just call upon the Lord and be saved. God is rich to all who call upon his name. Jesus, Lord, I believe you are God and that you have been raised from the dead, paying the penalty of my sins. Forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, I'm yours. That's it. No more needs to be said. Now take up your sword, the Bible, and begin meditating at it day and night. Grow. Let the faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Pray without ceasing, building up your most holy faith in prayer. And let the Lord continue just to walk with you through this journey. We just lay it before you now, Lord. We cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen, and amen. <laughs>